0: This podcast is brought to you by the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, your community foundation, which is focused on one simple goal, to help philanthropists pursue their causes for bettering the lives of people in Louisiana. Welcome to another episode of The Pod. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and today I have the pleasure to welcome in Susan Bonnet-Bourgeois, the president and CEO of the North Shore Community Foundation. Today we'll discuss the mission of the North Shore Community Foundation and how its focus is on enhancing the quality of life. Established in 2007, the North Shore Community Foundation serves the parishes of St. Helena, Tangipahua, Washington, and St. Tammany. Keep listening to learn more about Susan and the important work she leads at the North Shore Community Foundation. Susan, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I'm especially excited to have you here because we're we're basically cousins <laughs> in the organization sense that It is Right. Well, it is Louisiana, yeah, right? That's true. <laughs> so you all, um, the North Shore Community Foundation was created after Hurricane Katrina. Ta- talk to us about kind of the origin story of that.
1: You know, so the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, I think lots of folks in Baton Rouge certainly know this, but after Hurricane Katrina, it took on a much more um, South Louisiana focus and and just really stepped up in the disaster response space for the, because I I explain to people all the time, they were the healthiest, most reputable, most formidable nonprofit that still had lights and staff and people who could function. So it was both geography and credibility and reputation combined, you know, that made BRAF so strong in that post-Katrina space. And so when they raised really a tremendous amount of money and they looked south and southeast to look for partners to push that those dollars out to the organizations uh, with the boots on the ground doing the recovery um, really helping to change lives and rebuild lives they realized very quickly that there really wasn't an organization or an expertise if you will in that space serving the north shore the south shore had challenges of its own Really, um, obviously, needless to say, very South Shore-focused, and rightfully so. But the North Shore really needed some attention, too. And so the the leadership at BRAF had the bold vision, which which we will be eternally grateful for, to invest in seeding, if you will, um, a community foundation to serve the North Shore four parishes. And the relationship began, the foundation began, and, and we have been partners ever since. So
0: events like Katrina really you know, teach us... To your point that there's there's really not these lines that that divide us. I mean, they sometimes do when it comes to government and resources, but um, in events like that, they really show that it, that does not matter. And in this case, you know, having the opportunity to stand up a, an institution now focused on the needs and and the highest aspirations of a community is just an incredible amount of kind of attention and focus that you've led over 15 years in, in, in that work. T- talk to us about some of the things you're most proud of in that time period of being able to then have an institution focused on the unique needs in the North Shore.
1: You know, I think in the very big picture, what I would say I'm most proud of is elevating the mere conversation of philanthropy, starting mm. from there. You know, the North Shore is a very unique place in that we have evolved in the last 40 or 50 years from a place that was primarily rural, to something that morphed into suburban, and now we're in a, we're not quite our own thing, but we're more than a suburb of, we're not a bedroom community anymore. Um, So, there was a lot of education that has to go along with what impactful philanthropy is and um, how to do it and how to do it effectively. So say, the primary thing that I'm, I'm really proud of that our foundation has been able to accomplish is just elevating the work of philanthropy, the need for philanthropy, the privilege that comes with, with impacting lives and impacting your place. So, so big picture, I would say it's merely that you know, almost 16 years later now or 16 years later, that we have a philanthropic community that pays attention and is very engaged and participative in that. So on a more specific level, you know, the irony that our foundation was birthed out of response to disaster, right? Mm-hmm. As we just said, we we started because of Katrina. No one could have told me that 15 or 16 years later that I would have been actively involved in eight, nine, 10 disaster response sort of both funding and impact efforts. Um, So... If I had to pick a single subject matter that I would say we very quickly became experts at and has been very, incredibly meaningful to the people and the place that we serve, um, it would be disaster philanthropy. And for us, you know, Katrina was the obvious. And then just on the heels of Katrina came an oil spill, right? Yep. We're just rebuilding and then the oil spill happens. And the North Shore, you know, because we, we border like Ponchatrain, obviously, and because economically we are so linked to all things Greater New Orleans, that, that was a real thing for us right that that was real impact it was philosophical impact it was pretty scary for our economy and and for our people you know and then floods because it rained right not because of a hurricane it's just the middle of march now and it we have the worst flood we we've ever experienced in parts of Saint Tammany and Tangaho and then you know so the the remarkable and instructive nature of disaster philanthropy and the fact that a community foundation is so well poised to respond in times of emergency crisis and then right then COVID. So we get really good at water and oil spills and those issues. And then, right, we have a global- our
0: brand p- is crisis.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then our global pandemic. So from an issue perspective, I would say our expertise is really developed around that. And then there are lots of smaller, though none of them feel small, projects that we've worked on and, and probably- our most um, recognizable is the fact that we, we built a facility that happens to house us, but that's really a secondary purpose. The primary purpose of it is it's called North Share, and is a shared space for nonprofits, and it is a shared space for um, mission-minded thinkers to both office but also to host meetings and participate in, in trainings and discussions and collaborations around um, philanthropy and community service. So we're really proud of that, too, and we have a wonderful piece of public art out in front of the building sort of anchoring us and and that is our, our calling card if you will.
0: You will not miss it the, the umbrella that um, is an, an incredible testament I think to the vision you have struck there about what philanthropy means in that community. and in fact the, the place you chose was was really significant and important in an area, the, the West 30s that you also very intentionally have a vision of how that space, can impact the redevelopment that's been going on there. Tell us about that.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, you know, again, I, I one of the most interesting things about this work and community foundations is that every everything seems related. Maybe sometimes even when from the outside world it, it is not. And one of the first projects we worked on um, after Hurricane Katrina, because we got a specific grant to do community planning and community redevelopment as an outgrowth of Katrina was a plan for that particular neighborhood um, called the West 30s in, in Covington that had seen in the last 20 or 25 years significant disinvestment, negative outcomes that were surrounded by communities that were having positive outcomes. So our board made the aggressive and, and intentional decision to really um, invest some of our resources in a plan for that neighborhood. And and there was a, a square block of property on the boundary of the neighborhood, and it, and it It happened to be geographically located in between the West 30s neighborhood and the more affluent parts of of downtown Covington that people have come to know and and picture when they think Covington, Mm -hmm. that that piece of land was actually owned um, by St. Tammany Parish, their government. And at the time, our parish president was very involved with the work of the foundation and and used us quite a bit to to do public-private partnerships. and, And we struck up a healthy conversation about how best to use that property to scale both the form and function of one side of the neighborhood to all the neighborhoods and to really develop a community asset there. It's attached to the Justice Center. You know, if you think about all the the reasons someone would go to the courthouse and and go through the, the system, good and bad, it was just a perfect place. And so all of our work in the West 30s from a redevelopment perspective sort of pointed us there. We built the building, uh, building seven years old now. We have the rights to the entire block, and the vision is to create a nonprofit community-based campus over time, um, anchored right there on the boundary of the neighborhood.
0: And which you've sort of already started, given the, the nonprofits that house with you and, and really are instrumental in kind of the work of, of helping that area every day. Exactly. Over your 16 year now, 16 years there, you guys, I mean, astonish amount of fundraising for such a young foundation over 76 million dollars that you've raised deployed and is and is having impact in the community tell us some of the the projects that you and and the donors that are part of the North Shore Community Foundation have been most kind of proud of
1: you know from a project perspective you know one of the things that I often describe in as we describe our work and and you know it sometimes can seem complicated is that you know we do what our donors want to do right that's the great thing about philanthropy is that it's their resources that those resources come from their passion and therefore where we invest it should be driven by their passion so that speaks to the diversity of our work because of the diversity of the people who have who have trusted us with those resources so we have invested in in everything from doing a, a a real significant investment in in our animal welfare work in our region because, again, coming from being a rural place, Mm -hmm. there was really no organized effort around that. We still have lots of challenges in that space. To investing in bringing the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra over from the South Shore to do regular concert series on the North Shore so our people have exposure and, and have the ability to enjoy that without having to drive across the bridge, right? And so from animals to symphony to public art to significant investments in mental health, Really, over the course of our 16 years, not the least of which is a major investment we've made in the last um, six to nine months as an outgrowth of of Hurricane Ida, but really an outgrowth of the compounding disasters and challenges we've all seen. Um, So our our mental health initiatives have, have always been on the top of mind. Certainly now with the initiative we've just begun called Well Connected, it is as well. So the, the projects are as diverse as our funders are. And, you know, on a selfish level, that's what just makes this work so great. It's never the same day twice, but it's always good and it's always meaningful, you know, and that's just good stuff.
0: Absolutely. So let, let's talk about the, the, the Well Connected initiative because this is pretty bold that anybody in, in the service region has access now to these these free mental health services, why? First of all, why did did you all think about this this need and initiative? And that may be obvious, but I think the thought process helps others think about how they can create change in their community. And then and then, how's it going so far?
1: So you know, a couple of unrelated but very related points, right? Saint Tammany, since I have been doing this work. I have been, you know, included on a lot of emails and statistics. And it has always been shocking to me that St. Tammany Parish leads, Louisiana, in our completed suicides numbers. Oh, I mean wow. we we have been the number one parish in completed per capita in completed suicides for the 16 years that I've been doing this work. And no one's really ever been able to explain that. So that that's just a thing, right? That has that has lived out there. The foundation has invested historically in some different task force and some programs to try to move that needle and we have moved it some. So that, there's that issue. The second issue is, as we already spoke about, just this repeated exposure to disasters, right? And, and sort of what is that doing? And are we really measuring that? The third piece is, certainly in our region, I believe this to be true all over Louisiana, I know it to be true about the North Shore. There is a really restricted or lack of capacity in any kind of mental health service space right We know about state cuts yep. eight ten years ago now but just in the in the profession in access, in resources there is extremely limited capacity. So those three things are just facts and they're all lying out there on their own And then this you know pandemic comes along and we had this wonderful presentation that, that the foundation hosted with a number of nonprofit leaders and we intentionally brought on brought in a, a trauma therapist to talk to us about it. And something struck us when she said that when the brain is exposed to recurring many traumas, the brain forms a trauma response that mm-hmm. is equal to PTSD. And that that was very telling to me. And so when Hurricane Ida happened, right? So we're coming off the pandemic, and we're all feeling like we can get back into a normal life, and Hurricane Ida. Comes and, and impacts our region really significantly, and I reached out to our uh, the director of our NAMI affiliate there, who's really our leader in the region in mental health. His name is Nick Richard, and I said, Nick, what do we do? I have I have resources. We have this wonderful fund. People are funding it. What can we do? And he said, Susan, I, we don't have any more capacity. You, you could you could give me all the money you want. I can't do anything with it right now, and that is what led to a very creative idea we had. Known about, we did deep research into some telehealth, mental health platforms. We went out and investigated how many subscriptions we could buy for the money we had. Mm -hmm. Um, And we launched an initiative called Well-Connected North Shore, where we, the foundation, through NAMI, purchased 500 fully paid memberships to Talkspace, which is a telehealth, well-respected platform, which matches North Shore residents with any need for mental health services with a, a provider. And that is 90 days' worth of mental health services that we are sponsoring, if you will, paying for for these people. And we've had great responses to it. The subscriptions are filling rapidly. Um, we're getting great feedback, so we're in the throes of the program now. But the amazing thing about it, and then Talkspace folks, um, corporately, we're really excited about it too because this is replicable everywhere. You know, think about. Let me go back to a 9/11 right a- any disaster anywhere i mean and you know a, a shooting a, a a you name it to to have a platform where you can almost institute a rapid yeah, deploy. response deployed mental health response so we're piloting it piloting it is a very nice way of saying we're sort of making it up as we go along but we're doing that with facts and analytics <laughs> sure, right sure. and and we've been very pleased with what we know so far
0: and and what's the hope on the back end how how is you know philanthropy catalyzing something something new here
1: you know that's a really great question because you just reminded me of the most important reason that we're doing this we have tracked our mental health outcomes particularly as it relates to suicide since mm-hmm. hurricane katrina and there unfortunately is a documented pattern that 18 to 20 months post disaster there is a 40 percent uptick in completed suicides wow. so our in full intention with this program was to disrupt that pattern yep. so stay tuned
0: yep. right fingers crossed and stay tuned something we absolutely need to watch and learn from here. Yeah. And and to your point, uh, unfortunately in in South Louisiana, we we will have more disasters right. and we have to think about the emotional and, and mental recovery as well as the physical one.
1: Absolutely. And that's a great example in the foundation space about how how you know public resources for whatever reason, that's a different podcast, but public resources are not positioned To be able to handle that, and it is a wonderful space for community foundation response to to be able to kick in.
0: So you you talked about how, you know, oftentimes we at the community foundations, we are... Uh, really, you know, responsive to the sort of passions of our donors, where they want to see change in the world, you know, and, and at the same time, we want to help create opportunities for them to see their impact on a larger scale. So how can you team with other donors? How can we sort of see a need like you identified in this pattern and, and show to folks, you know, we have a way to maybe disrupt this in a, you know, creatively, because we are at capacity in our previous attempts. When you think about telling the story of why it's important to become a philanthropist, this is a huge emphasis for us here at the Baton Rouge Area Foundation is to help everyone see themselves as a philanthropist. What are some of the stories? What are some of the ways that you try to describe the importance of being in philanthropy and how anybody can really be a part of that?
1: Um, well, you know, because I think, and maybe it's because our community comes from fairly rural roots, but I think, first of all, For the most part, everyone is a part of that, right? Mm -hmm. They just don't know they are. So to your question, I don't think it's encouraging people to be a part of philanthropy. It's a question of encouraging people to identify it that way, to maximize it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's our job, those of us who work in this space, um, to make it simple, to make it efficient, to make it meaningful to them because – they, you know, all of us, human beings, the stories we tell, you know, the, I always say what is, what is our best referral source, and it's the people who already work with us. And 100%. it's not because we're geniuses. It's because these are the people, our, our fund holders and the people who are involved in philanthropy in our community are the ones who have figured out that it's real and it's meaningful and there's an easy and impactful way to do it. So all of us, I believe, by human nature are Philanthropist, you know, historically, I, I laugh about our rural community. Philanthropy there used to mean if, if your neighbor was sick, you brought him a casserole. And that was real, right? And, and you did it. You gave money to church. You brought a casserole. You took care of somebody's kids when they needed help. Mm-hmm. There, there is a. I think that's built into all of us. I really do. I think philanthropy is fundamental. Organized philanthropy is not fundamental. That is our role. And the more people are exposed to us and engaged in that work, the more people want to be engaged in that work. And and, and that is really what we have made a priority at our foundation in our region is the engagement piece. People want those opportunities. They want to know about those opportunities many already have a passion for a specific cause but many just have a passion to do something and they need us to help them figure out what that is you know that's our that's our value add that is and then when you look at organizations like ours and, and how we then do that together, so it's not just collaborating in the North Shore. So now it's not just collaborating in South Louisiana, right? It's collaborating across Louisiana and then it's partnering with foundations and other places. And so to me, you know, we have a simple tagline at our foundation that says philanthropy simplifies simplified, organized, and magnified. Mm-hmm. Philanthropy's real. It exists in all of us. We do the simplification, the magnification, and the organization piece of it. And
0: and, and do it well. I, I think, Susan, this point about thinking about our, our kind of challenges and then ways to help organize philanthropy to a, address issues that are wide um, and pervasive, especially in, in our Community or state. You have a really interesting background in that you have have worked at kind of all levels uh, of of impacting our state. You've uh, certainly you've been a part of the governor's team working in the Capitol. You have worked uh, for uh, in Congress uh, with Congressman Baker, and you have you know recently just been named the the chair of Greater New Orleans Inc., the sort of economic development organization in New Orleans. And so you've you've got a perspective that's much wider, I think, than a lot of community leaders do. And so I, I wonder as you think about kind of your role now in, in helping to shape and address some of our challenges, which oftentimes, as we said earlier, really are not defined by our geographic boundaries, but like a disaster, like the pandemic. How do you think we and, and other leaders should be thinking about maybe tearing down some of these walls of parochialism to address the challenges that are facing us. How, how can we encourage kind of smarter designs of some of our challenges that are, are facing us here in South Louisiana?
1: You know, I, I think, I think by nature, I'm an oversimplifier. I think I say this all the time when people question why the leader of a nonprofit would have been asked to be chair of an economic development organization. And I it is fun. It, it's just very easy for me to, to know that economic prosperity and quality of life are one and the same, mm-hmm. right? They're not only one and the same, but they're both the dream and the right of all of us. Yep. So the fact that we would try to define them, to your point, parochially or separately, even, is um, I think is overcomplicating something that doesn't need to to be. I would say the same thing about public policy, philanthropy, private dollars, it, impassioned people with resources are able to move needles in meaningful ways as much as, sometimes more, than public policymakers who have other politics to think about and, and other reasons to make votes or not make votes or, or fund things or not fund other things. But if we sort of strip away all of those titles that somehow become barriers or, or institutions, even if you will, we're all trying to do the same thing, right? We all want... Economic prosperity and quality of life for everyone in Louisiana, not just the North Shore, not yeah. just Baton Rouge, not just business owners, not just service workers. I mean, so I feel like we, we're overcomplicating it by trying to define it differently. And, and I think communicating exactly what I just said, even more simply, though, um, to people, and I mean people who from all people, right, people who need The services, the help, the opportunity for prosperity, the opportunity for services to the people who are funding those things, to the people who are making public policy decisions that impact it. Name something else that we all want, right? Everything else is just a tactical approach to those two things. So, again, it's an oversimplification, I believe, but I've seen it at every level of government. Now I've seen it at every level of philanthropy, and I would argue oftentimes the private sector has the ability to move that needle faster sometimes. Totally agree. So, you know, selfishly, it's why I like being on this side um, often, but 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 that's that's the real power in, in philanthropy.
0: So, as you think about maybe the next 15 years for the North Shore Community Foundation and, and its role and its unique opportunities in being part of addressing some of those pervasive challenges uh, to creating more prosperity and high quality of life. What, what stands out to you as, as either the, the aspirations or, or the big challenges that, that you're excited to sink your teeth into?
1: You know, on the North Shore, it is, it is ironic, but our greatest perceived challenge is, is growth. The change of going from that rural community to that suburban community to a very fast growing and some believe not well planned growth um, sort of space. So while I believe it is challenge, I also believe it's it is our foundation's tremendous opportunity to really educate people about the realities that go with that. You know, I'm again oversimplified. We're not going to stop it. Period. Right. Density does not mean a bad thing if it's density done right. Right? That when you enjoy a good quality of life, other people want to be a part of it. So therefore, it's more you know incumbent to protect it as you welcome those people into your community. So all things that are, are for us on the North Shore, um, a part of both growth, the challenges that go with it, and the opportunities that grow with it. Truly, it's a messaging and an educational challenge more than anything else. And I'm going to say that every time I'm stuck in traffic on the North Shore. <laughs> <laughs> this is just an educational challenge.
0: We we can listen to the pod right. while we're
1: the entire stuck. the entire pod. Oftentimes, <laughs> yes.
0: Well, uh, Susan, if if folks want to learn more about the North Shore Community Foundation, uh, where can they find out uh, information about you?
1: NorthshoreFoundation.org. You know our Well Connected Initiative that I talked about, North Share. All that information is on our website, but NorthshoreFoundation.org has our story. And and again, you know our partners at the Baton Rouge Area Foundation know our story well too. And it's one of the it's one of the greatest stories of all this is just how easy that is and 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 how well all of that works together. So you know it, it's also if you're If you don't live on the North Shore, but you want to know more about us, you know, our partners at BRAF can always connect us as well.
0: Absolutely. And as sort of a a turn, I mean, looking back 16 years, when I first came into this role, learning about the work you did to pay it forward, um, certainly with our friends uh, in Lake Charles uh, in southwest Louisiana, um, and then recently, obviously, after Ida, yourself being bombarded, but also being a partner to those down in the bayou. It's incredible to see how the strength that you've been able to build, that you all were also paying that forward to others.
1: Yeah, that's just sort of, um, that's just natural in are. this space. That's right. It's exactly, yeah. it's just who we are. Yeah.
0: Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the pod. If you'd like to learn more about Susan and the North Shore Community Foundation, please visit northshorefoundation.org to learn more. As always, thank you for listening in. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and our mission is to elevate the stories, people, and ideas making Baton Rouge and South Louisiana a better place. Until next time. To learn more about the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, please visit our website at BRAF.org and become a member today.